Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts, and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team, and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. We are super excited to announce the launch of our expert series coming along with our ongoing founders and investor series that you're already familiar with. During this first episode, we are sitting down with Chiara Cicchini, CEO and co-founder at Future Food America, Head of Innovation at Food for Climate League and Forbes 30 under 30. Future Food America, which Chiara co-founded, is the US entity of the Future Food Institute, an inclusive network and inspirational platform that is sparking exponential positive change in the global food system. I was super excited to speak with Chiara, not only because of her incredible background at the intersection of food and technology, but to learn more about how food production is responsible for one quarter of the world's greenhouse gas emission and what can be done to change this. In the show, we learn with Chiara more about the challenges and opportunities in the food tech industry, how the big corp corporations are moving towards more sustainable productions and where investors should look at for new investment opportunities. Definitely an exciting space where a lot of innovation are happening that could lead to changes with a big impact in the fight against the climate crisis. During the second part of the talk, Chiara will share a secret sauce to 
founders on her successful public speaking experience at a TED conference with some interesting advice that can help you to become a better public speaker. Finally, we will conclude with our thoughts about a role that women can take in the ecosystem and in the fight of climate change. Kiara, welcome to the show. Hi, Kiara. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We're super uh, excited to have you here uh, with us today. Uh, and today is the first, uh, the 20 uh, episode that we have been recording, but also uh, the first uh, of our uh, founders or expert series uh, that we are putting uh, together. Uh, and we'll do uh, with you a deep dive to understand uh, better how uh, the food and uh, ag tech uh, can really contribute to solve uh, the climate uh, crisis. So before we start, uh, can you give us a 30-second uh, intro about Future Food America? Hi, Guillaume. Yes, definitely. So Future Food America helps uh, big, small, medium F&B companies, so companies in the food and beverage space, uh, to become more sustainable. And so develop new sustainable products, improve their production, improve their supply chain, and so on. Okay, so let's start by the, from the top. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your story, Kiara, uh, your background? You know, we always like to, to know a little bit more, uh, you know, specific things that are not public and that you love to do uh, besides uh, working for Future Food America. Um, and maybe that could be a good segue as well to, uh, you know, uh, tell us a bit more about the driver uh, that uh, really pushed you to, to move into the, the food tech industry. Sure. Uh, well, things that usually people don't know about me, I, uh, well, I love food and I love cooking, or, of course, uh, I also love sports a lot. So I dive, I, I love to climb, I love to run, to bike, um, to play tennis. So I'm kind of like a sport addict, uh, which is um, actually super fun for me. Uh, in the past, I studied uh, business in, uh, in Italy, in France and in Moscow, Russia. Uh, so I was very much interested in applying what you learn at business school into a more relevant sector for me, uh, especially I was interested for something that was very attached to my culture um, and it could change a lot uh, on different cultures. And so something was very much uh, rooted uh, into different cultures that led me to fashion. Uh, I had a couple of experiences in fashion and then at some point an HR manager uh, actually showed up to me saying, this is not your sector. And, and there was like a tragedy for me. I was like super shocked about it. Um, but actually that forced me to step back and uh, start asking myself why uh, she thought that. Um, and that led me to, to the food industry that had um, kind of like the similar, similar features when it comes to attachment and, and rooting to cultures, uh, but also had also some family um, uh, roots that for me were very important. My family uh, are, is like a farming family. Both my families from my, uh, both sides of my parents, my grandparents, were, the four of them were farmers. Uh, and I suffered, I suffered from eating disorders when I was a teenager. So I had like very deep uh, connections and, uh, uh, and links to, to the food industry. Um, and that's how I landed in, in, in this industry. And you, uh, I mean, we met uh, in the U.S. In, uh, in San Francisco, California. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about this uh, this move and, and in a way uh, starting or launching Future Food uh, America. Yeah. 
Well, I think I moved here mainly for the American dream. Everybody talked about this place. Uh, I came here for uh, a couple of weeks uh, to, to have like to have some meetings, uh, and I was just like shocked. Like I loved everything here. I loved the energy. I loved how I could feel that everything was possible. And so I basically just said, I wanna I wanna land here and stay here. Um, and then a few things happened. I had a previous startup before. Um, and basically, we were doing a, a demo plus a, a beta study with uh, Airbnb. Uh, and so this forced me to stay a little bit longer here. It was like a six-month project. Um, and, uh, and you know that when, once you stay here for a longer time enough, you basically don't, don't go back. Um, and, uh, and the other side was definitely future food. Uh, and this probably also leads to uh, what you were asking um, about future food issues in general and so on. But... FFI was born in Italy uh, as a non-profit and I was engaged in that. Uh, and then there were a few partners here. And so I was starting doing this back and forth and coming here a little bit more often for the non-profit work we were doing. And here we realized that actually there were great opportunities, more on the industry side, more like on the for-profit, let's say, side. Uh, and this led uh, me and my co-founders to actually uh, start Future for Americas. Fantastic. So I think that's a good segue to, uh, to go a little bit deeper into uh, Future Food Institute. I mean, if you can tell us and share with, uh, with the audience, like the why behind the organization and how did it start? And, uh, and in a way, how, do, how does it work? Uh, what's the contribution into the, the food tech uh, or the food industry in itself? I mean, what are the, the, the services that uh, you guys are offering on the American side and the European side? Sure, yeah. So Future Food Institute started as a non-profit in 2013, and this very, was very much the effort of the founder, which is called Sarah Versi. Uh, and so she basically uh, was very much um, willing to do something which was a little bit different and bigger. Uh, she wanted to focus on education first. So education on how, how the food industry could impact positively the sustainable development goals. Um, and basically which are the tools that people could use in order to do so. So she started with like this educational track uh, and uh, through that, basically, we, we built some key partnerships, especially with some UN agencies, uh, and FAO is the main one, to build curricula around it. And so we have master programs, we have boot camps, we have summer schools, we have executive programs, all around how to use design techniques and design thinking techniques to then solve some problems which are the intersection between sustainability and food. Um, this led to many opportunities. Uh, and I would say the main two are one, what we call our community um, area. Uh, and so we started opening physical spaces, which, is called, which are called Future Food Living Labs. Right now we have um, one in Bologna, one in Polica, which is in South of Italy. And it's the, um, the house, let's say, of Mediterranean diet is where Mediterranean diet was born originally. Um, the third one is in Japan, and then we have uh, one opening up in Singapore. And of course, we are, we are working out to have one also in, in North America. Uh, and living labs are more like community spaces where students and industry are, are coming in and doing some prototyping testing work on solutions uh, at the intersection of food and sustainability. And the second um, big opportunity came with the corporate innovation side. And this was what Future Food Americas actually, actually captured. And so Future Food Americas right now is a big corporation uh, based in San Francisco. Uh, and what we do is we work with major food and beverage companies and we help them develop like innovation pipelines, which are uh, SDG centered. 
Um, and so this goes from services like, of course, like market mapping and benchmarking and market research and so on. Then it's very much going into like need finding, understanding better your, cons like your customers, your consumers, who they are, their needs, and prototyping a ton of solutions for them. Uh, and when I talk about prototype, it's usually snacks, meals, it could, they could be soups, they could be um, juices. So it's a lot of product focus, even if we also work with some companies that are sort of like um, selling services, but it's mainly CPG products. So they can work in like the upcycle space, reducing waste, increasing plant based, uh, improving their um, impact on the environment with their packaging. So it could be like different uh, SDGs, uh, but sustainability is always uh, very much at the core of, of what we do. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing that. And how big is uh, your community uh, around the world? And like, how can we quantify that? Yeah, that's a good question. In, in terms of people working, I think right now we're around 40. Um, we have around, I think, 300 now, uh, maybe a little bit more of alumni uh, that went through our programs, which are all spread out. And also that is an interesting model because very much uh, very often, actually, um, with our side, with the innov innovation side, we actually we activate the alumni for some specific work. So, like we did a, a piece of work in Nigeria recently, and so we're reaching out to alumni there. Same with Indonesia, same with Mexico, same with South Africa. So, when we have projects, innovation projects with company that touching areas where we don't have our employees, we usually call our community because they were trained uh, by us. Uh, and so it's also a good way to keep them engaged, to give them work opportunities uh, and for us to basically be present everywhere without having staff everywhere. Super exciting. And on the corporate side, uh, can you, are you able to name any, uh, any corporation that you work with or maybe everything is uh, still, uh, I don't know if it's secret, but uh, more tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. We can name some. Um, I would say the biggest, uh, some of the biggest one we work with uh, are Dole, um, yep. Abinbev, mm -hmm. uh, Nestle, mm -hmm. uh, Barilla. So they're like big, big companies, international companies. And of course, we don't want to just work with those companies. So we try also to work with like younger startups uh, and also medium-sized companies. Uh, of course, when it comes to international work uh, uh, and with big scopes, usually um, it's happening with, with bigger corporations. Yeah. Fantastic! Thank you so much. So I think you are like the, one of the best to be positioned into this uh, in this uh, intersection of innovation and and, and food. So uh, I'd like to dive a little bit uh, with you into the uh, food and ag tech. Uh, what is the impact on the on the climate crisis of the the food in general and agriculture in itself? And and maybe what's happening at the the, the big corp corporation level? Uh, are they concerned about that? Are this this move happening? Uh, where are we standing today? Yeah. Um, so, well, the impact is huge. And, uh, and you know that um, mainly because the food and ag industry is basically covering so many different pieces. You go from like land work and field work to like all the supply chain and so a lot of transportation, a lot of moving pieces. And then um, if you go into the CPG, as I said, so consumer packaged goods, you also have, yes, of course, also this transportation side from one side, but also all the packaging industry that, are, that is impacting um, F and F, uh, food, and, food and beverage and agriculture. So the impact is huge. Um, and it's very interesting to see big companies now because I feel 
uh, is the peak moment for sustainability and sustainability managers. I, you, I've always seen sustainability managers as like kind of like the last, uh, the last ones of the line. And now it's kind of like their moment in terms of visibility, in terms of traction, in terms of the funds they have. So I do see a big movement and things happening in the sustainability space uh, in big in big corporations. And I think on, uh, in addition to that, you have the alignment with consumers. Uh, I think, again, I don't want to say we are at the peak because I hope this is growing even more and more, but especially young generations are definitely, uh, when they can afford this, which is another conversation and it's important to have, uh, but especially like in the Western part of the world, they're getting more and more educated and more and more conscious about the kind of purchase they do. Uh, you see pushback on corporations, on big corporations and big brands that have been given for granted until now. And now new generations are just saying no. Um, and so I do see sustainability coming up pretty strongly uh, in this space. I should say that uh, classic corporate America still has a lot to do. Um, and mainly because we're talking about huge organizations with like huge supply chains and so on. And so changing them um, is very hard and it takes a lot of time, which is mainly the work that we are trying to do. Um, even if I should say that so far, the main approach has been mainly through merger and acquisition because it's easier um, if a startup build out their, the supply chain, build out all the partnership portfolio and so on. Uh, it's easier for a big company to just acquire everything they have been working on for the past 10 years, instead of like doing it internally. Uh, but ideally they do both uh, because they do have the resource, people, train people, uh, facilities. They have everything to actually make something sustainable happening is mainly that it takes time. And do you see any like, you know, greenwashing uh, trends around that? Because I mean, when you read a newspaper news or blog, or often you hear that, you know, like activists saying, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's uh, total like uh, beep, bullshit. Uh, I would say greenwashing uh, on, on one sense. On the other sense, I feel that there's a real willingness uh, for some uh, actors within those massive structures to really make the, make the change. So, how do you see the, uh, that through the different discussion that you have? And I will not ask you to name anyone here, but do you really feel this, uh, this willingness of, of changing and, and maybe in which time frame are they looking to, to change something uh, in the next five years, 10 years, uh, looking for new uh, opportunities? Or is this really for today because they, they feel that uh, the change needs to happen, in fact, had to happen yesterday already? Yeah. Well, I should say, in my experience, we are working with a lot of CEOs. And so what I see there is a real intention to actually change something at a big scale. Of course, there is greenwashing always. And sometimes it's even hard to understand uh, where it is exactly and the boundaries of, of it. Uh, but I, I mean, honestly, I'm positive. I see a lot of good intentions. Um, I, think, I think the hardest time and uh, thing also for CEOs and like people who correct actually make big decisions is that the overall structure sometimes is very hard for them as well. Like if you have your main stakeholders are actually looking at like growth as main KPI, um, then of course, as a CEO, you need to balance two big goals. One is your sustainability goal, but at the end of the day, your board doesn't care as much. And so you go to, you need also to check all these other, um, all these other boxes. So um, I see them struggling but this doesn't mean that I don't see the intention. I should, I, I should say that I honestly see the intention a lot. Uh, when it comes to time frame, uh, usually we are 
you are always working in the five to 10 year uh, time frame. So usually like the innovation strategies and so on uh, are shaped around a five year plan. But of course, like you need uh, a, a bigger extension, extension in terms of vision and so on. And now everybody likes is like 2030 goal. Uh, and so the 2030 is very much on the table in every kind of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, 2050 is the, the, the big deadline for a lot of, uh, <laughs> for all of us probably, and probably earlier than that. But uh, okay. So uh, maybe, you know, like you and we're in discussion uh, together about uh, releasing this uh, interesting article about like 20 um, startups that you see are very innovating in, in terms of the, the, the food tech industry in itself. Um, um, maybe if you can give us some, uh, you know, some some example of uh, those existing food technology that are uh, starting to emerge uh, and that can really like have a, a big impact, uh, and maybe how investors should uh, should look at it. Uh, you know, if you see like uh, any yeah. clearly market opportunities that are starting to uh, to emerge here, that will probably have a, a big big change. Yeah. Yeah, and more than probably more than like names of, of startups, I think there are definitely spaces and sectors. I usually when I talk about this topic, I divide technology and, and CPG, mainly because I love CPG and we do a lot of work there. Uh, but also I think it's very different approach. Um, Silicon Valley in San Francisco started uh, its interest in, in food, very much in the food tech space, uh, of course, because of the technology heavy uh, focus that there is here. And so there I see mainly, of course, all the biotech solutions, uh, especially when it comes to ingredients, when it comes to technologies to make different packaging um, and also like techniques to actually grow foods. So I'm thinking of like all the lab grown food uh, and lab grown protein uh, space, uh, which of course is getting crowded. Uh, we have been talking about that for, for quite a while now. Uh, but it's interesting that finally, actually, some of them are getting to the market. You can actually taste some of them and so on. And the hubs are clearly San Francisco, Singapore, and Tel Aviv. Like It seems that all the main companies are actually located in these three cities or around those three cities. Um, and, and then I'm thinking of, like, of course, AI, blockchain, like technologies which are applied across the board that landed also in the food industry. Uh, AI mainly to, I think for me, what I'm seeing is that AI in food is mainly to inform in a very smart way. For example, combination of ingredients of new ingredients you can use or a life cycle assessment. So everything that so far has been very much manual, very time taking uh, as an activity. And now with AI becomes very smart, basically tailored for you and your needs. And uh, basically one click away from, from you. Um, when it comes to CPG, um, a lot of new ingredients, which is exciting. I think this is less revolutionary, but more accessible for people. Uh, so you, you are seeing a lot of products made out, based out of mushrooms. Um, so like a lot of mushrooms with like, like position as functional food. So a lot of these ingredients that have extra benefits for the body are becoming more and more appealing. Um, carbon positive packaging solutions, of course, is becoming big and it's personally my favorite one because I think is where there is like a huge need. We have been doing a lot of work on like 
regenerative agriculture and improving the sourcing and ingredients and so on. But then if you pack everything with plastic, uh, you kind of feel that part of your work is basically wasted. Um, and so I think packaging is actually a great space to, to grow. Um, ancient grains, new type of grains is super popular now uh, as a sector and upcycling. So everything related to food waste, of course, is getting a lot of traction as well. Yeah, which can also find uh, you know some application into the uh, packaging industry as well. I remember yeah. one of the uh, founders, some company called Mitero that we had uh, on the pod a few, few episodes ago, uh, were using like uh, byproduct from the uh, f- from the brewery industry to basically uh, create packaging for uh, bottle bottling uh, content, uh, which was super super interesting. Um, do you see in this whole landscape that, uh, and you mentioned different uh, sub-category uh, of the, the food industry in itself, but do you see that um, in a way, I mean, what needs to happen in a way to have this whole movement happening right now to really contribute to this uh, net zero uh, goal? Is it in terms of like regulation, uh, policies, like one needs to change to really accelerate that, or maybe it's like, capital allocation, or maybe it's like structured to support those, uh, those founders. I mean, based on your overview, where do you think that there's still like some roadblocks that should be uh, removed to accelerate this, uh, this movement in itself? Well, I see as a, as a sector and as a space, I would say the meta sector. Uh, and this is how I like to call it. And so more finding funding there, more interest there, Sometimes I'm seeing how it's easier to invest and to find like the CPG solution, the single product solution and so on. I do think that to make something happen on a big scale to get to the net zero impact, it's really about platforms and, and meta solutions. And when I speak about that, I'm mainly mentioning in my mind there are like ingredients, as I said, like platforms of ingredients, platforms of like materials that can be used then in several packaging solutions. There are like a a couple of companies working now on automatizing and again with AI making it smart, all the life cycle assessment um, process that so far has been going through consultancy work. So it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money. Companies usually don't have all the money to do that. Uh, and they don't prioritize it. Um, and so um, it's very interesting to see how some companies are actually trying to streamline this process. And so everybody with a SaaS model can just like, with a couple of clicks, understand the impact uh, on the carbon impact of a product and see every single sp- uh, specific aspect where they can improve, which are the other providers and suppliers they can use and so on. So I think giving more inter- like giving more focus, more capital, and more opportunities to those platforms uh, is sometimes harder because also for an investor, um, it's uh, there are a lot of other pieces involved. It's not just like a snack company, um, but at the same time, I see that these can actually these companies can actually make a huge change. Yeah, that's very interesting what, that you mentioned this uh, meta concept in a way uh, because. Uh, uh, just referring again to the previous episode uh, that we had a, a company called Circulate uh, who is trying to really uh, 
I would say, offer to SMEs and mainly focused in Europe um, a, way, a platform where they can uh, purchase and use better packaging uh, product, uh, mainly for the, I mean, for the food industry, but also for uh, the other uh, packaging industry in itself. And I think this is uh, really what's uh, a lot of innovation are existing uh, and, and appearing uh, and how to aggregate all of them together to allow, uh, in yeah. a way, uh, this acceleration of, of movement. Um, thanks so much for, for sharing your, your insight on that. Um, uh, regarding the, the, the ecosystem, you, you mentioned that uh, Future Food America and Future Food Institute in itself are uh, supporting uh, by those like um, uh, space that you have and programs that you do, um, the, the, those uh, food tech uh, founders um, and connecting them with, uh, with the big, big corporate that, uh, that are seeking for those innova uh, innovation. But can you tell me a bit more if you, you know like any other like existing support uh, system that are existing for uh, those younger food tech entrepreneurs that have maybe a, a focus in, in climate in itself to, uh, to, 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 to grow and, and, and flourish and get the support that they need in a way to, to go to the, to the next step? Um, yeah, definitely. And honestly, on that, um, I, I think of like incubator accelerators and mentorship programs as the main things. Uh, there are a ton of food focus accelerators right now. I remember just five years ago when I came to San Francisco for the first time, there were just a few. And now like, I saw some articles of like the top 100 in the world. So like numbers have been going up a lot. Um, I can think of um, a few in the US there is big idea in New York. There is Chobani. The Chobani accelerator is actually very, very good in New York. Robobank started Food Bites and a ton of startups, especially CPG startups, went through it. Um, there is Food System 6. There is FoodX. There is IndieBio in San Francisco, which is honestly the blueprint when it comes to uh, biotech. So I think there are like a bunch. Uh, also with different focus uh, focuses. Like here we have Kitchen Town, that open also a second location in Europe, in Germany, uh, and their own their all focus is basically CPG and helping founders with everything related to this, from like sourcing to the packaging. So like all the specific challenges that you might have. So I think I think there is a lot for a food related founder uh, now. On that, I definitely think the mentorship is also a very key component. Often it comes with these kind of experiences, but not always. Uh, but then, like, of course, following programs as like this podcast as you're doing, or there are like a bunch of newsletters, um, like Food Tech Connect that Danielle Gold is running, Food Tank that Danielle Niederberger is running. So there are a few communities online which are very, very strong where you're able to know other people interested in the industry. Uh, and your point on your point around food and sustainability, I think most of those activities started with food and food tech in mind but basically all of them now are baking in sustainability <laughs> yeah, but that, that's interesting i wanted to ask you i was just thinking of like uh you know it was not a, one of the questions i put at first was like what is the proportion now in terms of like the food tech industry uh and the, this uh, climate climate tech uh, challenges and, and sustainability and circular economy and, and i think you are uh you know answering to that yeah, no, no, I, I definitely, I think it's a very relevant question. I think, as I said at the very beginning, especially if you look at the hubs that I, I mentioned before, like we're talking about San Francisco, we're talking about uh, Singapore, we're talking about Tel Aviv. These are hubs that started first of all with tech. And so at the very beginning, I think the main hype was 
wow, we can actually apply technology to something which is so relevant for human beings that everybody's using as food. Um, and so I think at the very beginning it was very much a nerdy approach of like, oh my God, the technology applied to food, that's super exciting. Um, but then things evolved. And first of all, I think we figured out that technology is awesome when you have it in your pocket with an iPhone. When you have it in your mouth and you have to eat it, people have very different reactions. And so I think the tech focus kind of like slow down a little bit uh, because of this human component. Um, and then like with the UN Food System Summit and many things that happened in the past couple of years, uh, sustainability actually uh, hit the space uh, very heavily. Uh, but yeah, so right now, honestly, I think it's hard to separate the two. They're very much uh, melded together. Super exciting. So uh, according to you, um, as a regular consumer, uh, you know, we all eat, uh, I mean, hear about like, you need to eat organic food, uh, you know, by two local producers, but do you have any like, you know, maybe tips and, and advice or uh, to, in a way, as a consumer to contribute to, to accelerate this movement of, the, of a cleaner food industry in a way, uh, and that can also have a positive impact? Yeah, so that's probably the most common question I'm getting, and it's very hard to answer. Um, usually I answer with, and it's I know it's probably not the easiest thing to do, but for me it's education. Yeah. So everything else is kind of, it, it comes after that. So if you, re, you, if you get more interested in that, if you're like, if you're listening to this podcast, like there are a few things that if you show interest, then you will learn how you can do things differently. Um, and so I would say reading and education, it's uh, number one, which is also the reason why I think um, has been crazy the fact that we don't have an educational system at school that uh, embed anything related to nutrition. Like we spend like hours talking about religion and we don't talk about how to cook, how to feed ourselves, which is crazy because then we become adults and we don't even know how to take care of ourselves. Um, and so I think education is very much at the base. Having said that, if there is one single thing that uh, I would suggest to do is definitely to look around to your community. Um, usually around you, you can find 99% of everything you need. Uh, it's just that it's sometimes easier uh, to just open Amazon and get something from the other side of the world. Um, but your community has everything, has like the veggies you need, the meat you need, um, honey, bread, you can find what you need around you. Uh, so it's just taking sometimes the extra effort and curiosity because you meet amazing people if you just open your eyes and look around you. I'm glad you mentioned honey because uh, I think that you forgot to introduce yourself uh, as a honey uh, maker as well. What was the I name am. of your, uh, of your uh, the, where can we find your honey? So my honey is actually online. It's called radicalhoney.com. Uh, and that's a very much a passion project that um, I've been um, I've been working on and I've been helping out with. Uh, and the main idea is uh, how to how to put together uh, beekeepers uh, around the city, uh, starting with San Francisco, uh, that are producing um, honey from themselves and for their family and friends, and then they have some extra quantity. Uh, and so what Radical does is that basically they, like we buy uh, some batches uh, from them. We ensure them that 
um, that we are going to cover that. And then we take care of marketing, branding, and uh, positioning on the market. Uh, and uh, we also just started a B2B program, which is actually going very, very well, where restaurants and brands, uh, uh, restaurants and companies around the city are actually mm -hmm. committing to bigger quantities to then serve their community with, with this honey. Fantastic! It's super exciting. So my my last um, question here for this uh, for this section is like, I mean, uh, as you you and me and, and many of the, the the audience here, we all uh, hear about uh, uh, this you know a catastrophic uh, era that we are living into in terms of climate change. What is in front of us? Uh, but what would you say to to someone who uh, is from the maybe younger generation than us? Like, I mean, do you still see some some hope, or we should just like buy a bunker and uh, and, and dig ourselves up? Or um, I mean, uh, with your perspective, I guess with the, the the food industry, do you see change and something positive there? Or what, what's your what's your take on that? Well, I do think that there is change. I also think that probably I'm not the one that needs to tell new generations. It seems that new generations are very much aware of this. They're going in the streets and squares. They are striking about climate and so on. Uh, so I, I see, and it's, it's normal, I see every generation being different. And I see the next generation after ours. Uh, that is very, very much seeing these problems from like their school times, thing that we didn't. Um, And so maybe they have something to tell me uh, because they seem very much knowledgeable about, about it. Um, but also to answer your question around what could happen and what should happen at the more, uh, at a bigger level, I do think that um, it's important also to go on, on policy uh, and on policy making um, uh, space. I, I was having a chat in Italy with uh, with the doctor and uh, we were talking about getting into politics and so on. And I was like, oh my God, politics is something so far from me. I can't, and honestly, I can't handle it. Um, and he was like, politics is like a big act of responsibility. Um, our, we basically skipped a couple of generations saying that politics is something too boring, is something too hard and, and too complicated to navigate. And so I'm gonna do my private thing. And his point was, uh, um, it's also time to actually get back there and re-own the policy scene because just with that, we can actually make a big change. And so I think that's something which is very much relevant. If I think of packaging, if I think of red meat, I see that huge, huge changes could actually just happen with the red meat tax where we like banning plastic bags and so on. And so uh, getting into politics is uh, an act of courage, but. I would definitely invite a um, new generation to think about that a little bit more. Fantastic. So how can the, the community of, uh, of listeners can uh, help you today? Whoa, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> today? I don't know. Usually I don't You have the time. Go for it. <laughs> that's a great question. Um, well, I'm usually, as I said, I believe in mentorship a lot. And mentorship for me is very much an exchange. Um, and so every, I would love to have any kind of conversation where uh, someone has some interesting input for me, feedback or ideas to share. Um, so I would be very open for that. And, and maybe then we can also find a way to share uh, my details. But yeah, conversations, critics, feedbacks, I think are very much uh, are useful uh, to, to everything that we are building. 
And as I said, I'm like, we are doing many things and I'm trying to connect dots in many ways through different companies as well. Uh, and so being aware and becoming aware of everything that I'm not aware of will also be very interesting for me. So if any, anybody has a very interesting idea to, to pitch or share, I'll be very happy to, to listen to it. Fantastic. So any question that I did not ask you uh, that I should have for this part of the show? Honestly, I think we covered a lot. Uh, I think you did a great job, you know? <laughs> cool. So let's go for the, the second, uh, second part before uh, it becomes too late for your, for your timing. So, okay, Kira, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with, uh, with us, uh, sharing all of those interesting uh, insights about the, the food tech industry. Uh, well, first of all, super excited to, uh, you know, to publish uh, this, uh, this episode with you, but also uh, looking for the, uh, the blog post that you are uh, co-writing for uh, with us. I mean, that you're, yeah, that you're writing, sorry. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, all of your time and, and insight. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.